it exactly took me two and a half years to get my pitch really clear and ready. I was always thinking, hearing like mm. other founders, like this is very weird. Like after three years, they're still reworking communication. They're pivoting their business. I always thought this is ridiculous. Like you would know after so long that no, you don't actually. Because you're being questioned all the time. Because you work so much on the business, you also lose the perspective. And then you get feedback from people and you realize actually you're not that clear with your communication and strategy lines. So after two years and a half in business, I was still rejiggling my strategy entirely. So I think it's something that as a founder, you have to be not afraid of doing is turning your business upside down. Because if you keep going in the wrong direction, then you're losing your time. Welcome to Multiple Hats, a show about STEM professionals who have gone off script and carved their own path beyond the tracks that were set for them. Science, technology, engineering, mathematics, medicine, how they found their why and what it takes to make it happen. I'm Angelique, and on the show today, I talked to Orian Junker, who left the pharmaceutical industry to create Spots, a social business aiming to empower mothers to earn on their own terms through a month-to-month marketplace and a holistic community where mothers, who represents almost 30% of the global population, can support each other. Orian takes us through how she always had many businesses idea and drafted many business plans but never had a strong motivation to execute any of them. Until she found the why when she experienced a strong discrimination at work after returning from maternity leave. We get to hear so many practical aspects of a funding journey, from business plan, feasibility, growing the customer base to 28,000 members and 170,000 visitors two years in, and finally, pitching for capital. Let's get to know Orian and how she went from genetics to founding spots. So I know that you've started in, in STEM, you've chose science and genetic and did that in one of the most competitive science schools in France, and then you diverged to business school. Can you tell me why you chose genetic and science at the first place? So I feel my life is a bit of a default choosing sometimes. So I started being fascinated with medicine. So I wanted to be a neurosurgeon my whole life. So since I was five years old, I was driven by medicine. I knew that's what I would be doing. But my life was a bit different when I had a partner who was much older than I was. And then he started to take me out of the idea of going into med school because it would require me to go for at least 10 to 11 years of studies if I wanted to become a surgeon. So then I decided to diverge when I was about to start med school and go instead into neuroscience, but as a researcher. So I started, so I was studying in Canada at the time. And when I started uni, I went back to France. I had absolutely no idea about the studies in France. So I was going really randomly in the way I chose my, my studies. So I started into prepa, which are our specific schools in France, all about science. I started biology, which was quite logical to become a neuroscientist. When I arrived in prepa, I realized that it was absolutely not what I wanted to do because it was not research oriented enough. Then I went into university and I really started my journey into science and research. That's how I ended up not in neuroscience, but in genetics 
and I have no idea what happened here. It's just, yeah, I think I realized that I didn't like doing research in neuroscience. So when I had to choose between neuroscience or genetics, I went into genetics because I, I just thought, no, neuroscience is not going to make it for me. I had to cut a lot of rats to study their brains, and I didn't like that at all. Genetics was a bit less about killing animals, and I preferred that option very much. So that's how I ended up in science. So it was all about, you know, last minute choices in my life. There was nothing that was really well planned, or at least everything I planned actually ended up falling apart. Right. So already a roller coaster just on trying to do the, the degree itself. So yeah, but that, I mean, this is really well prepared for life because life is a roller coaster. And so I started with university, but then you, you went into business. So how did you decide to not do neuroscience or genetic, but do business? Or was it on top of it that you wanted to have business skills? So I guess my story is all about, at the time, not knowing who I was. So that's why I was pretty much, you know, following the flow of my desires and things because I had no idea who I was. So when I was knowing a bit my, myself a bit more every time, It was guiding me a little bit closer to my life purpose and, and to what I was good at. I realized very quickly that I was so different from everyone in science, everyone in research. I was an alien in the middle of a lab. I was actually not passionate like the others were. Where I realized I was so much more businessy. I wanted to create a business every time I was going outside my house. I had a different idea. I was like, oh, I could create that business, that business. So I was like, I think. There is something wrong with me in science. That's not my purpose. So that's when I just realized very clearly that I had to redirect my career. And that's when I ended up in a business school. And I realized that I could use my science skills and not have to throw five years of studies away uh, by adding on a master in business. Mm. And so then that got you into marketing, sales, but then you went back to a more scientific role. So you did the roller coaster in the opposite way. Can you tell me about this part? Yes. So here again, it goes with my life, really following a flow and not a real plan. So I started yet to work in strategy as a consultant and then doing consultancy in marketing. I actually really like business. But when we came to Australia, I started to work in sales, but I had the opportunity It's just here again, an opportunity that happened in my life. And I'm a very opportunistic person in the sense that if something comes into my life, I'm just always thinking there's a reason to it. And that role in medical actually came to me. And I was like, all right, it seems like it sounds like a good idea at this point in time in my life. So here again, no specific plan, just opportunities coming my way. And yeah, just me choosing to take them. So yeah, my life is all about things that are coming to me and me saying yes or no to it. Yeah, I think it's quite interesting because a lot of people find that they identify with their degree in a way that is very strong and therefore changing from sales to science role would be something difficult for them. Whereas for you, it's like, I am all of this. I can do all of these things. So I'll just go with the flow, which I think is a beautiful thing. I think a lot of people tend to limit themselves to their skills and what they know, what they've been educated with. For me, the world is a question of infinite possibilities. So if I want to do something, I just do it. I don't limit myself. It's a land of play. So I'm just playing with different things, learning different things. 
And I actually, when I was younger, I thought it was a bad thing. I really always thought to myself, I am good at everything, but I'm not great at anything. At the time, I was thinking, this is ridiculous. There are those guys who are genius at mathematics. And I was like, you know, looking at them, just thinking, I would love that for myself. But now I look at it as a blessing in disguise. Now I created my business because you need to be able to do everything. So it is very funny how you can have a certain perception in your life when you're younger, when you're thinking about that career path, your education or everything. It's very siloed and very segmented in the way we look at things. But now I, I became an entrepreneur. I'm like, yeah, I can do anything. And my ability to switch from one thing to another, even if it doesn't look always very logical in my resume, is my strength. I totally agree with that. But it's also a factor of the environment. So you're right, the academic pathway is very like a train and you can't really deviate. But also the people that surround you, like I identify a little bit like you are liking so many things, having interest in so many things and touching different pieces of the puzzle. But the feedback that I often receive, and in science, that's one thing, is that I, I was lacking clear focus and that I should focus more on one thing. And it always felt wrong for me because I was like, how can I focus on this one particular small area when there is so much to know and, and breaking the silo makes it more holistic and more, more likely to matter if you can look from a holistic perspective rather than one area that is too, too narrow. So definitely agree with you. And this is what this podcast is all about, really. It's, it's breaking down the silos and, and letting go of this set track. So now you said a little bit about being an entrepreneur and how that personality of you and character was forged on that roller coaster and opportunities that came to you. Can you tell me how you found your why? Because you said initially, I was getting out of my house and I had an idea every day. I could do this and that. So clearly you were business oriented and wanted to create one. Is that why you created one? Or finally you were like, here is the problem. I need to solve this one. So it's a bit of both. So I've created a thousand businesses, business plans, worked on it, but I never had the why really that was so deep within me so that I would action as that business plan and it would result in a proper existing company. So it was never going beyond my computer and my slide deck because I never had that why. So that's two things that have been driving me. I wanted to create a business and I've tried a thousand times and never really felt passion and purpose. But with this business spot, there was that drive, that strong purpose within me that it was obvious I had to create it. And it's the first time that really I feel pushed to do it. I'm, I've pushed through all the challenges because it starts very early in the journey that you encounter challenges when creating a business. And I haven't never backed down. Like I've always kept pushing when for other businesses, I wouldn't, it would never go beyond my slide deck. So yeah, this is, I think, a combination of both. You need to have that business thinking, that desire to create a business, that business personality, but also that thing that is going to drive you. Because if you're only a business person and creating a business because you want to create one, whatever it is, as soon as there will be a challenge, there will be no burning passion to keep you pushing. And you need that absolutely to persevere through the billion challenges that are going to be ahead of you. Mm -hmm. I love that. Can you tell me more about spots? So spots actually came from a problem I encountered myself. 
So I was working in corporate, in the pharmaceutical industry, working in science, in medical. So I first suffered discrimination during my first pregnancy. But the most shocking thing for me that happened was when I came back from my maternity leave for my second child and I asked for a pay rise and a promotion because my husband, after doing the same studies, finishing same studies at the same time, working in the same company, same job, he was paid 30000 more than I was. So I actually asked for a promotion and a pay rise. And I was told by the number two of my big corporate that I didn't deserve a promotion or a pay rise because my career was in hibernation after my maternity leave. And I think more than the discrimination in terms of salary gap, what shocked me the most was the word hibernation. I think it blatantly described the complete lack of recognition of the mother's role in our society. And I got very frustrated with that because I realized it was the root cause of so many cascading symptoms that we're constantly talking about. So the glass ceiling, salary gap, workplace discrimination, all those words we're constantly using, actually the root cause of all those problems to me was really coming from that lack of recognition of the mother's contribution in this society. Hang on, I want to make a pause there. This thing, you are the perfect comparison case because you've got yourself and your husband is a control, same study, same job, same company. This is just a goal case study, but we're not going into much details. You said 30K is a pay gap and you had a child with that same man. I imagine then, yeah. was his career in hibernation or just yours? No, just mine. And what is very interesting is that I took nine months for both my kids, but my husband has three months for each of our kids as well. So he had a paternity leave as well, but was never told that he was in a hibernation. So I don't know if it's because my maternity leave duration was greater that for me it was complete hibernation and for him it looked like a holiday. Or if it was a gender, you know, disparity perception. Mm. I have no idea. But whatever it was, for me, it seemed absolutely unbearable, that perception. And I realized that with my friends, there was similar stories. That's why it really created my way. Yeah, definitely. And then just another number that I want to add, because as you say, other similar story and the statistic shows it. So women undertake 70% of the unpaid work in Australia. But what's more to it, and I think I really want to articulate this number. So tune in with your ears. Childcare is evaluated by the Australian Bureau of Statistics and a report of PwC the equivalent of 25% of the GDP and over 400,000 million. But it's not contributing to the GDP at all. So I think it's not an understatement when you say that mother contribution are under-evaluated. I love the statistics. <laughs> yes, I think this is what I want to start doing and changing, you know, get our society to evolve, putting a proper value on motherhood. Because I think, yeah, though people don't know the statistics and don't realize them, it seems like a given that mothers are going to do that role and also on top of it, have a proper career. I think it's really important that there is someone to talk in the name of mothers in this very society, because we are just constantly as mothers struggling feeling that we are not stepping up to the level of expectation. It seems that we are failing. One in five mothers report experiencing feeling like a failure since they became a mother. Like this is huge, the impact it has on mums. And it really comes down to the perception 
of society of you know what we think of mothers so that's why i think we really need some like whether it's a company an ngo or whatever to actually be a sort of a union for mothers so that we are the voice of mothers because even if we're in a developed country in 2022 it's not happening and it should be happening so this is why i started to raise my voice because i realized that the impact in our society are massive it is mothers who end up being depressed it is one in two mothers report, reporting experiencing discrimination as a result of their pregnancy. It is one in five mothers who are made redundant as a result of their maternity leave. Like the impact is huge and we complain about it, but nothing is being done. And that's why my why actually really started to rise. All right. And so how, how did you design spots to address this systemic issue? So I needed to create change to use the power of member. This is why the main thing for spots was to start creating a community of mothers who would gather on the same platform to discuss their problems and what they wanted to see change in our society. So I designed spots around that community. But I realized that a lot of mothers with their current problem was the lack of flexibility at work and that 50% of millennial moms actually want to create a business. This is why I created a platform allowing mothers to create their business, to support them in this endeavor, but also to offer them, once they've created the business, a platform where they can sell their products and their services online. So it's really a platform to connect mothers so that they can support each other and within the collective create a profitable outcome for the mothers, but also for spots. So that then we are powerful enough to have an impact at a bigger level, at a societal level. So you call that a social business. What's the difference between a social business and a business? So a social business has got a social cause that is completely integrated to the structure of the business. Some business, they would say, oh, we are investing in charities about ecology, but they're a business of consultancy in marketing. So it is not a social business. They're just investing a bit of their profit into that cause. But for me, the way we are making revenue is actually to support the social cause in itself. So that's what a social business is. And I think it's the real new businesses of the future. More and more entrepreneurs who are young and who want to create a business, they're not creating a business just to make money. They want to create a business because they want to make a difference in this world. And you realize very quickly that without money, you have no power to create change. So if you go for an NGO, you're constantly depending on donations and it takes your power away. So that's why for me, the combination of business and social cause is actually the key to, to our future as a planet, I think. So this is why I built Spots as a profitable business with a strong social cause built within. Yeah, and I think this is where your business school is very handy. <laughs> so now you have the skills to actually create your business plan. Did you design it on your own or did you use some help and advice on designing the business model of Spots? So my business came from visions and meditations. So I started Spots from like a vision and a discussion with someone who's very dear to me. And I started to sit down using one note and started to write about it, like everything I had in mind. And the more I was writing, the more like the different pillars of my business became very clear. 
And it's once when I sat down and meditated that I came out of my meditation with the clear business pillars of my business. So it sounds very weird, but when I need guidance, I meditate and usually I move forward massively, much more than if I was crunching in front of my computer for hours. So this is my way of doing business. So I sat down in front of my OneNote, started to write. When I didn't know where to go anymore, meditating and boom, I was getting a new answer and it was pushing me forward. I had my Friday off, started to work four days a week and I was sitting down and working on my business plan. I'm a business person, so I had the skills already to do a business plan. And as I told you, I made thousands of them before. So it's pretty much like my slides and the structure of it was ready to go. And I worked as much as I could, as far as I could, without no help. I didn't feel I needed anyone. It's only later on, when I was much more advanced in the business, that I started to ask for help and support. I didn't feel that I needed any help at the beginning because I was really getting something out of my guts and I didn't want anyone to come and deviate my vision. So you obviously had the skills thanks to your business school and your countless preparation on doing trial business of your previous idea. So that, that's fantastic. I can see. But just to distill a little bit more technically, if someone wants to start a business, so you have this vision that you say you gather your thought through meditation rather than forcing yourself on a computer, which I think sounds, you know, fantastic, gathering, grounding yourself into your own vision. And then what was your first step? Once you had this business model, this vision, what was your first step? So my business is all about a platform because it is a platform to connect mothers. So I got in touch with IT people and started to make quotes to see if my vision was actually achievable in terms of pricing. So yeah, because you can have a beautiful vision, but it has to be realistic as well in a way, more especially at the start when you've got no funding. So I got in touch with a lot of IT people getting quotes. I, it would go from 200,000 down to 20,000. So I really started to gather everyone's thinking as well around the platform. That's when I started to get my first advice. It was actually IT people. So that's, that's really what I started to do. And then with all the advice I got, I started to build the platform, started to draw it. I am, I, I think we need to anchor our vision in this world. And a computer sometimes is very, as it's very digital, it feels like we're not anchoring the vision physically. So what I did is that I started taking some paper and I started to draw my vision, like the platform, what it would look like exactly, the type of images I would have on it, where would be the different tabs. And it really helped me to anchor my vision as a reality and not only something in my head or on my computer anymore. And I displayed all my papers on my wardrobe, which was not making my husband very happy because it was ugly drawings, but I didn't mind. For me, it was making it much more real. So that's when I felt like for the first time, my business was starting to exist. And to make it even more real, I had to create it legally. As soon as you create it legally, it feels like you've paid a bit of money to create your business first. So it feels like there's involvement, financial one already. And it, and it felt like so much more real and true to me because it was legally existing. So on the 21st of April, 2020, I created my business. So when you say I created legally, you mean registering an ABN and having your trademark. Exactly. Yeah. It's something that takes half an hour to do. But that was a big mm. stepping stone. 
it made it like, yeah, it's existing in the paperwork. At a government level, it exists. In the world, it exists. And for me, it just, I don't know, it shifted something in my mind. I wasn't only working on my own, working on my slides, it, which didn't feel really concrete. Suddenly, boom, this small step was a big shift in my mind to make it happen. So let me give a little bit of a summary. So we are working on corporate at that point. So you're still working four days a week, having this vision, putting your business plan, getting advice with feasibility on, on how you would do the platform. You design further, create it legally. And at that point, when it's legally done and you've got a feasibility and a design of the platform, you're still working in corporate four days a week. Is that correct? Uh, yes, initially it was four days a week because my vision, as I told you, started to become much more concrete when I created Legally. I started to move to three days a week only so that I could make things happen much faster because I realized very quickly that one day per week and evenings and weekends would never be enough, more especially with kids, to look after. I had the idea after like seven to eight months working on my business to stop my corporate job. And I had the best advice in the world and I would advise anyone to keep their job. I was told, don't leave your job, even if what you need now is time. The thing you need the most is money. And you don't want to lose your job because as soon as you leave your job, your business is going to go nowhere because there will be no funds to finance anything anymore. And that's going to be your biggest limitation. So I actually kept my corporate job an extra year and a half on top of that point in time where I wanted to quit just because of that advice. And that was the best advice in the world. It was really hard. I felt very schizophrenic from going from one job to the other constantly, more especially when you start working and hiring people to develop your business, then it feels like you have an employee sort of. So they constantly send you emails, they call you, and it feels like when you're working for your corporate job during those days, you still have to deal with your business. So I felt really schizophrenic going from one thing to another constantly. That's been really hard, but that was a complete blessing to have kept my job because it allowed me to achieve my vision much more instead of, oh, one day if I have money, we can do this. Because now I have like an existing platform. I've got something concrete thanks to my corporate job. And when I go to pitch at investors, I am not presenting an idea only, which is very uh, non-visual for them, I go and I say, look, this is spots. This is what it looks like. This is existing. We've got customers, they're using it. It gives you so much more power and so much, so much more weight. So yeah, that would be my biggest advice. Keep your job as much as you can until it's not bearable anymore, really. And you really can't keep going. Mm, very good advice. And I think this is instrumental question because anyone trying to do that would have the same questions. Do I quit everything and give everything to my business or do I just do it as a transition? And I like the transition, you know, four days, three days, because it's progress with your objective and with the tangible outcome that you have. And so you build confidence, but without having this pressure, because as you say, when you don't have your job, then you still have expenses, a family to support, and it becomes almost stressful. And I do believe that stress can cloud your judgment. The first thing you want to do when you create a business is go 100% on it. Like it's all of us, we want that, but it's our biggest danger. Now I am in that phase that I'm not working anymore and I was lucky to have my husband to support me. So that was a deal between him and I that for a few years, 
financially, he would have to step up on his own. So I guess I was very lucky in that way as well. But yeah, it's really a mistake to leave your job as soon as you have an idea and want to launch a business. Mm, and so when you have the platform, did you do first a minimal viable product or did you just build it progressively? I had to start with the minimum viable product because Bots is a one-stop shop. So I've got that problem where to show my vision, I need to have plenty of things. But everyone tells you very, one very key thing in business is that do one thing very well instead of doing many things very bad. And that's been something I've had in mind since the start, but was never able to follow because my vision is a one-stop shop. So I got very frustrated with the little of my platform. The way I thought about my MVP was very strategic in the way what is easiest in terms of IT, less costly, and also what is going to be the most profitable. So I, I went with the option of helping mothers to sell their products online because it's much easier than selling services. Service is another big deal. It's much more complex. And in terms of IT, it required much more time. It was much more costly and, and complex for me. I needed first to understand with a more simple marketplace how things were working before I could go into the services. So there was that very technical aspect, but financial aspect as well, which is that the product marketplace is much easier to to launch and to get vendors and to get customers to buy a product rather than buying a service is much more engaging because it means you're working with someone. When you buy a product, it's not engaging you much. You know, you're just paying 20 or 100 bucks and it's just sorted. So that's the reason why my MVP was really focused on a very strategic decision. And with my MVP, I was able to get my first grant, which is the MVP grant from New South Wales. It's a $25,000 grant. And from there, I was able, able to move to the next step. But yeah, we all need to start with an MVP to prove that even if nothing is perfect, that you have customers who are interested in what you're trying to create and also that the platform works. So two years down the track, you've got 3,500 products, 1,200 author, 28K members, and 170,000 visitors. How did that start and how fast did that grow? <laughs> Nothing goes fast. I guess this is my word. I think I realized that you have to put your hands into the little work. So initially, we had to find vendors, obviously, because no marketplace can exist without the products. So looking at where we could find vendors, I have to confess, we went on competitors' platform, contacting vendors directly. So sending an email to all the vendors, went on the Facebook groups, found different businesses everywhere on Instagram, and we contacted thousands and thousands of people. Many, many of them were getting back to us positively, and we started to upload the products to obviously notice there were a lot of technical problems already. So we had to sort out the issues one by one. So that's been very tricky because, yeah, the platform is never going to be working straight away. So I guess it's a very, it's a little end work. It's a step-by-step -step thing. You're never going to get like a thousand vendors in one go as soon as you launch. You have to do the little job. No one will go on your platform. You know, you're not going to be referencing Google, nothing. So you have to do the job to go to people constantly, poke them, ask them, ask them again. Follow up 10 times if you have to. So this is really a little end work. You start out of nothing. And then I was able to hire someone who here again 
came very opportunistically in my life. And she actually came and said, I need an internship and I am doing a master's in women empowerment. And I just said, all right, if she is in front of me at that point in time in my past, it means here again, it, there's a reason to. And I decided to start working with her. And that was great because she was a trainee at the beginning. So I didn't have to pay her full amount of money, which I didn't have. And I was giving her the experience and the learning she needed. So I was learning at the same time with her, but I was also able to teach her a lot of things because she was just finishing schools and I had more than 10 years of experience. So I was able to get that amazing person who changed everything because I was spending more time into grants and thinking and still doing a lot of operational work, but she was able to release me from so much work and I was still able to keep my job in corporate to pay for her salary, but also to pay for marketing on top and everything. So with her help, we were able to reach out to much more people, but also we were able to start Google marketing, social media marketing, which has helped to drive a lot of traffic on the platform. And this is how we started to really get offer sales and then really to get more traffic of people coming to read about the blog. We were able to expand our social media, to grow our social media followers, and, and all this is driving traffic. But it's really a step-by-step process. Nothing will happen overnight. And I think as a founder, you have to do the small work because otherwise nothing will happen. If you're just expecting it will go viral tomorrow, these are the dream stories of some companies, but it's not going to be all the companies and it was definitely not my story. All right. So at that point, you're like three people working on the business, IT, that woman that is helping you with all those aspects and yourself and you still incorporate. And so let's talk about funding then. You said that you were able to get a grant at some point, but before that you didn't have a grant. You only had your own savings, I imagine. Did you do a round of funding very early on or you just use savings and your own capacity? So I was bootstrapping the whole time. So that's why my husband kept, you know, like climbing the corporate ladder so that we would be able to finance spots more and more because you will realize going for like more and more forward with the business will require more and more and more money. So at the start, it's easier than now it is. I require much more money to be able to to get my business moving forward. My first grant, it was $25,000. You will realize with a business, 25K is absolutely nothing. So that helped me a bit, but not much. And I actually made a big mistake. And I realize now I'm talking with so many founders is that social media ads and Google ads are just draining your funds. So they're bringing a bit of traffic, a bit of sales that customers are never coming back. It's not a faithful customer database you're building and it's costing you a fortune and you don't get any benefit to grow a business from it, really. And every time I talk with founders, investors, they just say, how did you grow your business? And I said, initially using that, but I regret I spent so much money into it. They all say, oh yeah, don't get me started on Google ads and social media ads because I could spend two hours being mad at it. So I guess I realized that was my biggest <laughs> mistake and I would recommend anyone who's creating a business to go very wisely with these. Then I made maybe a mistake or maybe not. It is that I went very late for funding. After almost three years in my business, I never went for funding until two months ago. 
so it took me a long time to get there. And I guess it came from the lack of self-confidence. I was never thinking my business was good enough to go and show it to the world. So I kept doing more, kept working more, kept expecting better results to show so that I wouldn't get the rejection. So it took me forever to get there. And more especially, my business plan has been turned upside down a thousand times so that my story would be very clean, very neat, so that people would understand the problem and the solution very clearly. It wasn't clear at the beginning. Like I knew the global vision, but I couldn't explain it in five minutes. And it took me forever to really get there. It exactly took me two and a half years to get my pitch really clear and ready. I was always thinking, hearing like mm. other founders, like this is very weird. Like after three years, they're still reworking communication. They're pivoting their business. I always thought this is ridiculous. Like you would know after so long that no, you don't actually. Because you're being questioned all the time. Because you work so much on the business, you also lose the perspective. And then you get feedback from people and you realize actually you're not that clear with your communication and strategy lines. So after two years and a half in business, I was still rejiggling my strategy entirely. So I think it's something that as a founder, you have to be not afraid of doing is turning your business upside down. Because if you keep going in the wrong direction, then you're losing your time. And I noticed at some point it was the time where I didn't have a choice to just rejiggle everything. And then once it was done, suddenly I felt confident that I could go to investors with like something really impactful and really clear to deliver for the first time. So it took me a lot of time. And if I had gone earlier, the main thing I was hearing from when I got in touch with investment funds was come back when you're more mature. Because not many investment funds or investors will go with an idea. So the preceding investment is really, really, really small. So that's why I was waiting later, later, always waiting a bit more to get more credibility and to get more funds interested in, in my business. But then that means that you've got to do three years without any funding with some grants that are available for New South Wales funder, but that are not very significant, as you said, 25000 So for our audience, if they want to create a budget, someone has to start saving a bit or supporting themselves in a way to be able to continue. Otherwise, you don't even get to develop it through funding rounds. So that's why I was advising to keep your job. Everything you're earning, it's just going back into the business. So this is everyone's mm. founder's issue, finance. We are all struggling with that. Yeah. I think there are so many amazing ideas that went south just because of finance. And so you have yeah. to be very clever with the way you're spending your money and, and still try to earn it. And that's why I think my regret would have been to have waited a bit too long to go and find fun. I've gone a bit too late to the point where I don't have money anymore at all to invest in my business. So I think, yeah, you have to find that sweet spot, that right balance from when your business is mature enough, ready enough, but you still have a bit of leeway because we say that when you go for funding, it takes in average three to six months to get funding for those who get it. And I realize now I've got mm. some leads for funding but it won't happen before March. And I started to really reach out in November. Mm, yeah. And yet there's another problem with funding is that only 2% of the global funding capitals are awarded to women. So 
you know, the odds of getting funding is not always very good. So how how did you circumvent that? Is there a specific type of funding or that venture capital that you selected rather than pitching broadly to any kind of investor? So yes, actually, you have to understand the different types of funding that are existing. You can go with mm. crowdfunding. You can go with impact investors. You can find philanthropists. There are venture capitalists, angels. There's so many different types of funding. You have to understand what is right for you. For me, I did that re- thinking and realized I'm a social business. So impact investors are the people who I want to work with because they will understand they want profit, but they want profit that is going to benefit this world. So I didn't want to go with venture capitalists because what they would do is to make my business profitable and crush the social aspect of it. And I didn't want the social Mm. aspect to be crushed because it's the main reason why I created my business. So venture capitalists was out of the way for me. And so impact investors have been really important for me. I also reached out to philanthropists because even if I'm not an NGO, I'm a social business. So I'm in between a business and an NGO. So that's why I reached out to philanthropists. But as you were saying, female founders are also not really favored into the investment world. But there are a lot of investment funds who are favoring women, who are only investing in women. So there are many of them and you have to reach out to them. It doesn't mean you're going to get funding, but at least you are competing favorably here because they prefer investing in you as a woman. So that's been obviously a main interest of me to reach out to these funds. And I think female funders should do it. But yeah, I think... When it is, we're talking about funding, you will end up pitching in front of people who are not your target, but they might know someone who might be your target. And Mm -hmm. this is the way you have to be. You have to have a broad vision, knowing what you want, but not constrict yourself too much at the beginning. You go broad. You try to pitch. You try to get people to hear about what you're trying to create. And that's how you're going to get that person giving you the contact of this right person who's going to be the one investing. I think, yeah, you have to to believe that the right person will come. And it's not only by pitching to, to the people you think who are the right one that you will get what you want. You have to go broad and bold. I think it's great insight for anyone or any woman out there who is trying to impact investor, philanthropists, but also women-oriented funds that are out there. So that's really good advice while still keeping your job to try to fund it as much as you can. So I think that's fantastic advice. What do you think was the most difficult thing for you as an individual? I think it was keeping my motivation and perseverance. So I'm a very perseverant person. If you're not a perseverant person, I would say this might not be your path. I think you have to not take a challenge as the end of the world all the time. You have to take perspective, keep your vision burning within you. That's the only way you're going to keep pushing. This is why I think if you're creating a business, you need a strong why, a strong purpose, a strong motivation. Otherwise, as soon as there will be big challenges, you will not have that power to keep pushing. Hmm. I've been like hitting walls in ways you have no idea about. I've been crying many times, but my perseverance and my fire have kept me pushing. Mm. So you say you had a lot of crushes. Could you share with us one that you felt is really major and how and how you raised from it? 
so I've had so many, it's hard to pick one, but I'm going to pick one that is quite recent. So the business was growing, growing, growing. So that's one big advice I would give. Manage your cash flow very well. Cash flow is what crush businesses. And I wasn't really good at finances. That's my weakest point. So I didn't manage my cash flow very well. And six months ago, I actually realized that I didn't have any money to, to keep going. So my business was going up, 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 grows, grows, grows. And suddenly stopped every marketing, had to tell a lot of freelancers who were working with me, I can't work with you anymore. And suddenly the business started to go down, 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 down. And so this was the hardest thing to look at because what keeps you pushing is when you see the numbers and the KPIs going up. And suddenly everything is just crashing down. And it's what happened for the past six months because I can't finance anything anymore. This has been a really hard wall to hit. But I think I've got faith and hope that spots is something that the world needs. And despite that big, you know, like challenge that I'm uh, encountering now, I never stop going and never stop pushing. But this is mentally extremely hard. Also, I had employees who were not doing any work, who I was paying, and they were lying, not delivering the work. And I think, yeah, finding the right employees can change your business entirely or it can crush it. I've been working with that amazing person, you know, that trainee who arrived before. She's made spots what it is mm. now, like Amazing employees are the soul of your business. You need when you're hiring someone to hire someone in alignment with the value who understands the vision and who's got the right behavior. You can change and get someone to upskill. You can't change someone's behavior. And I think, yeah, that's been another mm. wall have been hitting to realize that I was paying people for a few months and I was begging to get the job done and never getting it done. And I was not strong enough to be like, listen, that's the deadline. That's what you need to deliver. You didn't do it. What happened here? You know, so I was not micromanaging enough because I was trusting people too much. And two times in my hiring history, I ended up with a bad story. And I've had amazing people working for me. But yeah, you have to be aware that the people you are hiring are the ones who are going to make your business. So don't mess up with that because these people are, if you hire badly, are really, really becoming a huge drain onto your motivation, your business, and your finances. Mm. Yeah. And I think we're going to draw on the two last questions. But one question that I want to ask you is that with, with all this growth, but rollercoaster and finance and how you want to take spots, do you have an exit strategy or is that something you're not considering? So... That's a question that they always ask as soon as you start going to pitch and which I didn't really ask myself before. I think I had a vision of spots has to go to every country in this world because mothers across the world need it. And it's going to take me such a long time to get there that I focus a lot on the milestones to get there, but I don't focus on the outcome too much. We say that it is more the process or the journey that you need to enjoy more than just the outcome. And so I was never focused on my exit strategy. But if I think about it, I think that I will be the CEO at the beginning, leading the expansion and opening of many different countries, 
up to a point where I want to become the ambassador of the social cause and not be the CEO of the business anymore. I think at some point, once we get spots being profitable and big enough, I don't want to deal with the business aspects of the business anymore because I think I will have done it for a while and will be excited of discovering another aspect. Amazing. Thanks so much for sharing that. And then the very last questions that I encourage everyone to think about is about privilege versus hard work. Can you reflect on your journey and tell me what you think has been helping you, privilege that has been helping you, but also the opposite, something that's held you back? I take my challenges and all the difficulties in my life as a privilege. <laughs> so I think it's a way to see it. I've had the biggest failure with one businesses I wanted to create before. There are only two businesses I wanted to take to life. My previous was to create sort of a village where people would come and spend the day, be able to eat, be able to camp, be able to listen to concerts, etc. I had that business partner who ended up, you know, taking my time, not paying me for the work I was doing, etc., and who ended up harassing me for months when I decided I, I had to run away from that experience. But that was the biggest blessing ever because he made me realize that despite the fact he was pulling everything backward, I was actually able to do something great. And it made me realize that when I never had the confidence to create a business on my own, I actually could do it even when someone was preventing me from doing it. So I realized that I was actually good enough to do it. That was my biggest learning ever in my life. So, so yeah, I guess I see my challenges as my privileges because it took me further on my path. It helped me to remove a lot of limitation beliefs I had. It allowed me to gain confidence in what I could achieve. So yeah, I just had no privileges apart from my challenges, I would say. I've had a tough life as well in some aspects. And I think it's really what built in me that perseverance and that, you know, ability to go through any challenges in my life without crumbling. But hard work, obviously it happens. But I think hard work without a soul or a spirit into the business will go nowhere. I see a lot of founders working, 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 evening, nights, weekends. I've never done that. Never. Because you just burn yourself out, you lose the soul, the fire and the passion in what you're doing. And I think if for me, I've been respecting my needs as a person so that I'm still able to push things forward. And a lot of founders, they think that, you know, there's that mm. vision that you need to work a thousand hours a week to be able to launch a business. I don't think that's true. I've never done this. So it might have taken a bit more time, but at least my soul and my spirit are intact. And I'm able to distillate that passion to my employees, to the people I'm working with, and to and it's what's giving me the fire to keep working. So, yeah, a lot of hard work, but a lot of connection as well. That's why I meditate a lot. Because if you're just working hard without a vision, without taking any distance from what you're just doing, you will go nowhere. It's like a car without a steering wheel. So your business is also the reflection of who you are as a person. So you need to develop as a person so that your business can actually develop as well. So manage your cash flow, but also manage your energy flow to the marathon that it is. Exactly. Yeah, that's a good conclusion to it. 
What a ride with Orion Junker, another embodiment of ambition and confidence. How not to get inspired by her perspective on the world being a land of play with infinite possibilities. Orian said it so boldly, if I want to do something, I just do it. I don't limit myself. It's a land of play, so I'm just playing with different things and learning different things. Tell me, what is the one thing that you would do if you could stop limiting yourself? And look, no one said it was easy. Founding a business is an endless roller coaster with many opportunities to either overcome the challenges or crash. But a strong purpose and a resilient adaptive temperament are your allies in this journey. And if you are good at many things, but no genius at anything, not to worry. Business founder wear many hats, so versatility is actually a strength. I love that she places spots in between an NGO and a business, but make a strong point of embedding the social cause as the core of a sustainable yet profitable business model. Because according to Oriane, without money, you have no power to create change. Plain, simple. And in fact, investors are investors who support this exact vision and the growing trends where financial return is no longer the sole factor in the equation. Now, for those of you who are brewing something and thinking of quitting your day job to pour your entire soul into a new business, Orion says, think twice. Keeping your job is keeping the cash coming. So remember, manage your cash flow and manage your energy flow. You can learn more about Spots on a website that is Spots in Australia, S-P-O-T-Z. Hey, thanks for listening. If you like the show, share it. Tune in for monthly episodes. You can follow multiple hats, visit my website. That's angelicgreco.com.au or follow me on LinkedIn or Twitter. Just search for Angelic Greco. I'd love to hear from you. If you want to tell me about your story, leave me a message.